Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Happy 2018, everyone. Before getting into today's episode, we wanted to remind you that Good Athlete Project gear is available online. Go to our website, goodathleteproject.com, click on the merchandise tab in the top row, select your favorite item in support and style. We are coming to you live from Austin, Texas, though by the time you hear this, it will be re- recorded. It will no longer be live, but um, Alex, am I right about that? You are absolutely correct, okay, yes. Okay, perfect. Um, I just wanted to make sure I knew how podcasts work. That is exactly um, right on the money. So what, we are, what we're going to do is we are going to pretty regularly answer questions that we get most often through the podcast. So um, we, we try to answer all the emails and direct messages um, on Instagram that we get. Um, but we thought that some of the questions were so good and were, you know, a lot of them are recurring um, that we would just answer them in this format so we could share the answers more broadly. So I think we'll start with, uh, I mean, just let's just pick one of the most often asked questions. Absolutely. All right. So uh, the first question that we have is, uh, will squats slow us down? I've never seen a fast power lifter. Will squats slow us down? Okay. The reason I like this one is because not only are we asked it often, but I've heard it said as like a declarative statement by coaches that we've worked with, which is kind of funny. It's, you know yes, I mean? like, yeah. <laughs> like we don't want to squat too much because we don't want to slow down. Um, I think that particular phrasing is funny. So uh, the short version is this. There is no linear explanation of anything in the human body. And that has to be said first and foremost. Of course. Um, they're like lifting weights is not lifting weights. Not all exercise is created equal. Not all lifting is created equal. Not all squats are created equal. So um, it is not squatting that makes one slow. I just want to be super clear and obvious about that. Like getting out of a chair is a squat. Getting down into and out of a chair is a squat. It's one of the most natural movements of the human body. So the idea that a squat would make you slow is silly. Uh, 10 sets of 10 German volume training for a squat is going to have a different effect than one rep max, clearly, right? So how one squats, the intensity, um, the load, the rep, where it sits relative to an intended peak, where it sits within a program. Um, I mean, it's all just, the, the world is wide open. So the immediate issue with that question is this person doesn't really know what they're talking about. Um, is that too, can I say that? Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's, okay, that's probably I'm fair. I'm sorry. And I shouldn't say that they don't know what they're talking about. That was a mean way to say it. But what I, what I want to say is this is a, this is clearly a novice person in strength and conditioning. Yeah, I, I think uh, the the bigger issue is that they are operating on probably old information, which is rampant, or or no information, or no information. Because, yes, that's true. Because, you know what I mean? Like maybe yeah. they looked at um, like word of mouth, anecdotal. I heard this from my cousin. Information. They're not. It's not yeah. actual information. And and it, I, I think it, it's also born out of this idea that. Um, a lot of people have, whether it be coaches, whether it be students that, you know, if you start lifting, you are going to turn into some, you know, huge bodybuilder just mm-hmm. by nature of being in the gym. And in their minds, it's okay, I'm going to be this huge bodybuilder. Bodybuilders don't move fast. I don't want that for my athletes. Right, right. And, well, and you just hit on two levels because um, the bodybuilder thing is pretty funny. 
I mean, gee, you know, what the thing that jumps out to me that with that is, kind of comment is people clearly don't know the effort it takes to become a bodybuilder. <laughs> I, yeah, I you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Two or three times a week for 45 minutes with your, say, soccer team is not going to have you looking like a bodybuilder. You will never get to that. Point. Absolutely not. No. Um, so I, I again, it, it's it's an important it, it's an important question because it's an honest one. So I don't mean to be rude about it, but here's the quick answer. Um, no, squats will not slow you down. And for, um, you know, I've never seen a fast power lifter. It's actually in a really important attachment to that. Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes, power lifters squat. They're probably not super fast, all of them by nature, but they're, but they're not training to be. Right. That's the point. It's not the squat as a movement that is making them not super fast. Mm-hmm. It's the fact, the fast that they are trying to be super stable, super powerful for one movement down and up, and that's their game. Yeah, that's their sport. Put adding it into um, a, a well considered training program. You know, the, the anchor of that program would could be a squat, right? But it but it just looks far different. And um, some of the things that jump out most are some of the studies that we've talked about. You and I just recently, um, we essentially the, the the correlations were most positive uh, in the studies that we we're reading um, in regards to power, right? So not mm-hmm. squat as a movement, but squat was a measure of power. Um, and, and I hope this doesn't sound too physics-y, but power being force times velocity, force right. being mass times acceleration. So like the ability to move, to have the strength to move weight in a squat, this is what they tested on. It was mm-hmm. a New Zealand study to move the squat, but with speed. In fact, I think the the thing in, in that one in particular was a jump squat. Yes. Right. That, so that was the movement that they measured. To yeah. really to put weight on your back and move it. Right. Right. Get off to, the ground. Yeah. Right. So power in a squat type movement was very positively related to um, sprint speed, especially in slower bursts. And the one actually that you pulled from was that an NSCA study? Yeah, it was from the uh, Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. Right. And that was, I'm pretty sure the numbers are right on this. Essentially, um, if you could squat, if your if you're one rep max to body weight squat ratio was 2.1 or higher, there was a significantly uh, positive correlation uh, between that and improved sprint speeds in, uh, it was a 10 yard or 10 meter dash and a 40 10 and a 40? Was that a word? It was a 10 and a 40, 10 yes. And, a 40. and that was compared to those with a... Right. right. With the 1.9 or below. And 1.9 or below, they were slower. Right, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so in fact, you could even, if you had to take this kind of question at total face value, you could also almost, almost say, neglecting the context, actually it's the opposite. Right. If you squat well, based on these studies, squat well as part of a well-considered program, right? Then you will be faster. And I think that is is the the like the most important thing, especially for strength and conditioning coaches, is the well-considered idea. Right. You know, what are you training for? Um, any strength and conditioning program. I, I shouldn't speak so like positively, but like almost any strength and conditioning program that your athletes get on is going to involve squat. It is one of the basic movements. It is one of right. the, the most widespread and used by coaches at every single level. So it's about, you know, 
how do you use it, right? Are mm-hmm. you trying to are you a are you a power lifter? Are you simply trying right. to lift as much as you possibly can, or are you trying to make people faster? If you're trying to make people faster, again, it's got to be well considered. And if they're working with a knowledgeable strength and conditioning coach, uh, the the good money is that it is right. In fact, I'd be really skeptical of any strength and conditioning coach who said no, we don't squat in our program. Uh, as would I. <laughs> I would, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's right. Close looking. Um, there's only make sure your behavior matches your goal. Yeah. Right. That's the idea. So squat as a component um, of a well-considered program. Absolutely. Yes. Um, no, uh, no question. I and mean, you, and, and yeah. the reason that we brought this up is because it is, does come up a lot. So I don't mean to be tough on whoever asked it, but it is, um, but geez, we got it. We have to be past that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and the thing is that even outside of speed, the, the, the squat movement offers such a wide variety of, of benefits that it can't be ignored and it can't be left out of, of a well-considered program. Right. I agree. All right. Next question. What else we got? All right. So the other question that we got was, uh, how do I get a program started at my high school? I think this is in specific regards to, let, let me rephrase. How do I get a strength and conditioning program right, started at my high school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the, yeah, totally. That's um, that's a big one. And actually, um, it's funny. Last week I got some version of that email about four or five times from <laughs> which is good, just from uh, coaches around the Chicago area. Which yeah. is, let me say, the first thing is that's awesome. That's yeah. The first like point is that it's incredible. I'm I'm very happy that people are interested in getting that done. Like. Listen, there's so much in the news about, um, I mean, we just watched a pretty scary Monday night football game, um, the Steelers game the other night. Right. Like, like, there's so much in the news about potential injury in all sports. And if you figure, like, what's the one thing that's, like, really under one's control when it comes to playing sports? Like, you can't control the weather. You can't really control what the other team does. There's so much that's outside of, of control, but the one variable that's, under our control is the preparation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the strength and conditioning component. Can you um, can you keep people safe? Let's not even go further than that right now. Can you add strength and conditioning to an adolescent's physical development and make them potentially safer? I think the answer is yes. And that's why this question is so exciting because there, it, there needs to be programs at high schools, period. Like strength and conditioning should be an essential component to an athletic department, period, right? It's almost, it's funny. Um, athletic training staffs are now, but you know, uh, it, it's like, it's like that's treating the symptom instead of the root of mm-hmm. the illness. Almost, yeah. like it's, you know, it's people's um, up and coming and, and growing complaints about the about medicine as an industry in general. Right, now. like we got to stop treating symptoms and start getting to the root of issues. And um, yeah, if you've got a training staff, an athletic training staff, which is taping up bumps and bruises and taking care of the kids on that end, but don't have a strength and conditioning plan staff group of coaches i mean that's goofy in my opinion i think if you went and you talked to any athletic trainer at any school no matter the level and you said do you think that strength and conditioning is important for keeping these kids safe they would unequivocally say yes exactly unless somehow they're getting paid by the visit yeah perhaps yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly so i mean yeah there's um Okay, so how to get one started? It the 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 re, it's super encouraging. It's also a really tricky question. Um, the core to our program, which uh, to put in context, has grown from 
80 to more than 1200 athletes um, over the course of each year. It, it, there's two things and we always talk about it, results and relationships. Um, so you've, you've got to be, you've got to put together, we keep using this word, but a, a well-considered program, one that fits the schedule and needs of the kids, both in terms of performance, uh, injury prevention, psychological health, right? That's, that's true. You got to be able to push in the right ways, um, which leads directly into the relationships. Kids do not, the kid that's showing up with his eyes on a 500 pound back squat is going to show up regardless. But to really get a program going, the relationships are the key of it, right? It's a people business, no question, right? We, uh, you can't design uh, at the outskirts of, of human potential. You can't design for the kid who's going to go on and be in the NFL, right? right? You design for the human being. Yeah. And, you know, we have, okay, 1,200 kids. <laughs> That's, you design for people is what it comes down to. Yeah, right. Um, and then uh, to answer the, continue to answer the question, and then you keep track of it, right? So um, we can tell you right now, we can pull up a quick Excel file and tell you um, who's coming at what times during the course of a week, even a day, um, how many over the course of a year, and we have stories to tell. So that's the other thing, um, numbers and stories. So results and relationships are the key to a successful program. Mm -hmm. Numbers and stories are what sells it. Right. And when I say sell it, uh, what I'm referring to is eventually, um, well, first of all, I think everyone who wants to start a strength and conditioning program, there's going to come a day where people just say, okay, screw it. We're going to, we're going to up and do this. But the way I started, the way we started our program, like you just got to volunteer. You got to be willing to work crummy pay hourly rates, like with true belief that what you're doing is important mm -hmm. and then keep track of your numbers and keep track of the stories, right? Especially in the early goings, it's amazing. Um, the numbers kept going up both in terms of participation, which is honestly, if you're talking about selling something to an athletic department, trying to convince uh, a board of education that this is important, it's about numbers. It's not about how much someone's bench press went up. Right. You know, now that said, I think you need to keep numbers on both ends. I think you need to say, are we doing good by them uh, in terms of performance? Right. Got to be enhancing performance. Yeah. Right. Um, but in terms of selling it to administration, you got to have participation numbers, mm -hmm. right? So we are affecting this many students in positive ways. Here's the numbers. If you're interested in their performance, here's how their performance is going up. And then have some stories to accompany it, you know, and, and we tell those kind of stories in this podcast all the time about uh, kids who are up against it, who just don't feel comfortable in any other area of the building, but they've got a home with us. People who just fully identify with, with the athletic part of themselves. And we are the home for that. And in that home, you know, the, now we're talking about the beyond strength sort of concepts where we, we kind of aim that toward um, community and academics and character and things like that. But point being, that's where they feel at home. Right. Um, we get stories from parents all the time thanking us for bringing their kid out of their shell, for making um, their son or daughter more healthy, for getting their son and daughter uh, more more friend friend groups, you know. We, I, we've told the story before about the like. I don't even want to talk about it right now. I want to keep this as an upbeat, uh, happy podcast. But you know, like um, the dad that essentially was like, "Listen, you don't know where my kid was. It was a dark place. You do, you know, it's tough to be a teenager who doesn't have any friends. Yeah. But he found a place. He found a purpose, and he found friends through you guys." 
Yeah. And the, and the guy couldn't have been more grateful. And that story happens over and over. So, yeah. um, so that is a big part of it. So Huge. results in the relationships are key to a program. Mm-hmm. Numbers and stories are key to sharing with other people how, you know, the importance of the work you're doing. And then as far as like, and then you just got to be creative. You know, we actually, um, we were listening to Bert Soren today. He said, walk through the open door. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. I think so many people, when they try to get a program off the ground, are thinking, you know, there's everything is a barrier. You know, well, we don't have that position at, at our school. Okay. Make it. Yeah, or right. do, or don't make it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, you know, there's so many ways to do this. You could have, you know, if, if there's enough demand, you could have a full-time position with benefits. Great. If there's not enough, maybe a stipended position. Maybe, let's go a little even further. Maybe there is a, a component, maybe there's just the declaration on behalf of the athletic department that one member of each varsity staff, a component of their stipend, will be generated through their work in strength and conditioning. I don't know. Maybe it's through intramural pay. Maybe you start a club at the school and student activities funds this endeavor. And maybe you just do what we did at, at first, which is just show up, do the work, and track it in the ways I mentioned before, and hope someone notices. It's much different. And you know what I mean? I, I, I don't want to turn this into a, um, you know, we, we're softened by our technology sort of, uh, you know, immediate gratification generation. But we kind of are because like, you know, that's that when I talk to people, that's one of the biggest issues I hear is like, um, well, like, you know, there's no position right now. How am I going to do the work if there's no position? Well, instead of like, instead of talking to an athletic director or a board of education or a school and saying, hey, you should create this for these reasons. It's super important. I think it's far more compelling to say, hey, look what we did. Look how freaking good it was. And it happened down the hall. Like, are you, turn your back, I, you know, you almost dare them to turn their back on it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like do the right thing, do it well, collect the data that I mentioned and like, and just confront people with it. Not in a confrontational way, of course. Right. But essentially, you know, and then what's the worst case scenario? So you've done that. You've positively affected people. The athletic department that you're working for doesn't want to buy into it. Mm-hmm. So you take the exact model, you move it to the high school next door, try again. Right. You know what I mean? If you believe in the work you're doing, and I understand that's a lot to ask from people. Some people have financial situations that they can't do that in, and that's totally understandable and totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still, but so create. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go any further than that because I don't want to talk about people working multiple jobs to get this stuff done. I don't want to talk about the lengths that the really intense guaranteed to be successful people would go through if they had to do this like people who would do this bust their butt doing this get in, get on the L go down to Butch McGuire's and work the door in the city uh, just just to put some extra cash in their pocket and take the thing back mm-hmm. and you know what I mean and and sleep uh, and, and then pick up their car from the L and drive to school and sleep in their car for three hours with a Red Bull sitting in the dash beside them and crack the Red Bull and chug it and then go to work I'm not saying everyone has to do that, but like if you wanted to, you could. Yeah. You know? Right, yeah. Um, but again, I don't think extremes should be the norm. No. Um, I, I, it, if you believe in what you're doing, you, you should keep trying to do it. Right. 
And I think one of the other uh, important aspects of the results and relationships uh, idea that you mentioned was in terms of the program, you mentioned our program went from, you know, 80 people to uh, 1,200 people. And that growth, um, you know, obviously uh, we were doing things the right way. Um, you know, people were seeing results and, and, and that growth came from like, it was student to student. It was peer to peer things. You know what I mean? If you see your friend going into the weight room every single day and they're getting stronger mm -hmm. and they're getting better and they share that with their friends, they're going to want to come into it too. Yeah. Peer pressure is a powerful thing. It is a very <laughs> powerful thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, we say it all the time. You don't like, you don't want people to bully people. Like no. you don't want people going out there and, and saying like, you better be in the weight room. But the idea is, you know, if you get a couple guys on a team that are bought in or a couple girls on a team that are bought in, they start seeing gains, then the message is, hey, go to your friends. You're my teammate. I care about you. I want you in this weight room because I want you to be stronger. I want you to be safer. I want you to be better. And, and the thing will, will start to grow. Totally. If yeah, all those other things are well considered as well, sure. of course. Right, right, right. Um, by the way, that, that story of, of uh, somebody who was, you know, taking the L downtown and working another job and then driving up in the morning with a Red Bull and taking a nap in their car, that was just a, a general, you know, story. Not, no one in particular, that right? That was real. That, oh, oh, my mistake. That was, that was you. Is, there, is this sarcasm I'm sensing? This is sarcasm you yeah. are sensing and you were yes. getting a heavy dose of it. Oh, yes, that was real. That's what, um, and that's why I pulled back. I'm like, that shouldn't be the norm. That shouldn't be the norm. No, absolutely not. But, you, you know. But you can get it done if you want to get it done. You, you did what you had to do. No. Well, that feels extreme. <laughs> okay. I, well, and I say this only because, like, I, you know what? I don't know. I don't think I had to do it. For real. No. I could have made better money, so, such better money, just working the door. In fact, the time that we're talking about specifically is when I, I was also trying to play pro football at that time. Pro, you know, air quoting pro you know, but I, right, but I, getting paid, so. I, okay, right. But I'm not NFL, but I, I was, um, I was still trying to play football at this time. So, um, I could have been a bar guy, slept in, in the morning, lifted whenever I felt ready to gotten on a plane and fl flown out and gone and play the season. Um, you know, I didn't have to do it. I just really wanted to. And I think, and I, I don't mean to press you on it, but I think that language is really important. Of course. I don't think people should be doing this because it's like, I, it's not as, it's not as fire and brimstone as that. It's not as like it's it's my only calling. I have to do it. You know what I mean? No, I really wanted to do it, and I thought I could be good at it. But the truth is, if it didn't work out, I would have found something else to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I would have tried to do that well as well. Anyway, so let's, let's um, probably move on to one last question. We want to keep these. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so last question we have is: What is grit? Why have I heard negative things about it? If I like it, how do I develop it? Yeah, this is, and that's actually like, those were, we cheated and like put questions together there because those are all, um, they were all in the same vein, but they fit together. So what is it? What is the trouble with it essentially? Why are there some people who are very against it? And then if I do like it, how do I use it? Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with the, uh, the what is it? Okay. What is it? it well, if we're talking about, and in this podcast, we will refer to it only as what it is in the research, which is passion and perseverance toward long-term goals. And uh, Angela Duckworth is the pioneering, she's like the lead um, researcher in the character lab out at Penn who does a lot of this stuff, but she's worked with a ton of fantastic researchers on it. Um, 
but that's what, I mean, that's what it is. Passion and perseverance toward long-term goals. Like when people, you know, there's, um, true grit. There's those John Wayne movies. Is that grit is not dirty. Grit is not, well, I mean, it, it might mean all of those things. If you looked up a different dictionary definition, it would be all those things, but yeah, it's yeah. got a specific one in the research. And what was the next part? Okay. Uh, so, uh, why have I heard negative things about it? Okay. So exact for sure. And this is a, some people hate it, hate it. There are articles out there called, the, um, like the trouble with grit and like the issues. And I remember specifically at one of Angela's talks, uh, a peer of mine, I, Anyway, I won't call anybody out, but people have real trouble with it. And I, and, and I know where it's coming from. And honestly, the, most of the people who have trouble with grit as a concept are, are really smart, well-intended, good people. And the thing that they have trouble with, though, is not grit as a concept, right? It is grit in its application, I believe. And, and what that means is um, there, you know, grit is a non-cognitive, it, it is a it's something that we can teach that doesn't cost any money and and has fantastic results in very specific situations. And maybe and sometimes it's been misapplied. So let me shoot. Okay, so the trouble with it is this. Some people have said, hey, we don't need to fix the hole in the wall at our Chicago public school. We just need to teach our kids to be gritty. That's an issue. Right. But, but again, I think that's an issue with the application of grit, not this concept in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the concept can't live in a vacuum. Um, it is true that I think Angela needs to really come out and, and say more about that, honestly. Yeah. I think she's a fantastic person, a fantastic researcher. I feel super lucky to have met her. Um, this summer in Philadelphia, I, I really like everything that's going on at the Character Lab, but I think there is a moral imperative that that she and the lab come out to really denounce those who are misapplying grit as a concept. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the issue there is clear. So there is there's huge opportunity gaps. There's inequity all over the place. Maybe, you know, in very few places uh, more starkly than in Chicago. Um, so the misapplication of grit to kind of override or overcome all these other situations is a, is freaking terrible. When it happens, it is terrible. Um, because the truth is, or excuse me, but the truth is, the research says nothing about that, right? Mm-hmm. The research that um, she and her team did was all about, it, it was all dealt, dealing in, in like really, like sort of optimal situations with high achievers. So the things that they measured was like GPA in Ivy League undergrads, um, retention in as a like West Point cadet retention, um, national spelling bee champions, things like that. Um, so this was like essentially what she was trying to measure was <coughs> if trying to essentially say talent is not a precursor to achievement. That's ultimately what she was trying to say. And that's why she was going into these places. So like GPA in Ivy League undergrads. So you get into an Ivy League school. What are, everyone is capable, right? That is, those are elite people academically. Absolutely. So what is the range? What, what now that we, that talent is similar, what differentiates the successful from everyone else? They're the super successful from everyone else. That's what she was trying to figure out. Right. And the idea was when opportunity and talent are similar, what are the differentiating factors? Grit was one of them. 
having passion and perseverance toward a long-term goal, that would be it. it uh, in the research, they found uh, no connection with IQ, for one, which I think they knew going in, because and that's one of the things they were trying to say was no connection to talent, IQ being a form of talent, of course. Um, but there was a high connection, correlation rather, with conscientiousness, which is one of the big five personality traits. And, and really, conscientiousness is... I mean, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing that's been almost universally tied to uh, long-term student success. And one way that we build for it, because I see you, I see the wheels turning. Um, like when we talk about self-reflection, we talk about being self-aware, we talk about self-analysis, when we talk about being mindful in our actions, deliberate with our actions, taking, uh, like considering other people, employing empathy, caring about our community, being kind intentionally, like that's being conscientious, mm -hmm. right? And grit is a sort of a subcomponent of that. Got it. Anyway. Okay. Does that uh, make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and so the the last component of this question would be, you know, how do you develop it? Hmm. It's really hard. <laughs> Done. <laughs> and podcast. Um, well, we have one, I think one, okay, so passion and perseverance toward long-term goals. Step one, identify a long-term goal. I think that would help. Right. Well, and, and, and that's, that's the key. People say, like, you know, grit in certain situations has very clear associations with success. Um, one of the things that should jump out from that is when one is a, in a position to do so, you know, set a long-term goal. There you have it. It's like, like that's step one. Set a long-term goal. Put a light at the end of whatever tunnel someone's walking through. Um, passion and perseverance. Now we're talking about, well, this fits really well into our character by design model, mm -hmm. right? Where we start with a goal, a big goal, a championship of some sort, a personal achievement of some sort, whatever the kid Wants. And then we illustrate the step-by-step -step procedure through which they might be able to accomplish that, right? What we're really doing is giving the kids the chance to be conscientious, right? When we get down, you've seen this in action before. So we have, you know, um, when a championship is at the top of this uh, goal-setting pyramid, um, win sectionals, whatever, beat the opposition, practice like champions. In order to practice like champions, we have to lift like champions. In order to lift like champions, we have to take care of our nutrition and our sleep and our hydration, all those things. Really what you're doing is you're, you're trying to develop a self-reflective, mindful process with the end goal in mind, right? Pat, the long-term goal in mind. Mm -hmm. And then you're giving them steps. Now, I haven't addressed passion and perseverance yet, but the idea is you you have to make that outline first because then comes the fun stuff. Right. Once you have, you have to set the tracks and then rev the engine. If that makes sense. Now, yeah. like coaches and educators as motivators, now we step in. Now, like variations on accountability and incentivizing and correctional behavior, whatever we want to do, um, or literally just like getting them in front of the room and freaking putting juice into the room and, and you know, Providing energy, like that's the fun stuff. Yeah, but it, you have to do that other stuff first. You've got to reverse engineer it. Yeah, passion and perseverance toward long-term goals. The long-term goals and the steps 
it takes to reach those goals. That's the key. And that's probably the most often missed component of it, really. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, yeah, and it's certainly not an easy thing to develop, and it probably takes years and years to do it. Yeah. You know? Probably a little bit of trial and error on the, the coach's part and the, the student's part as well. In what? Tell me more. Just in the sense of, of you know, finding what works for them, finding mm -hmm. uh, what uh, is, is going to make them most successful. And I think, you know, you, you talk about uh, the, the coach's job as an, uh, a motivator, mm -hmm. you know, finding out what motivates oh, them, yeah. finding that, out that what pushes sure. them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, that, and, and then, you know, and that's the part that I can't really talk about. Mm -hmm. Because now we're talking about coaching as an art. Right. Right. And, and um, I will be doing a, I'll be very excited to do a presentation on motivation in January. You'll yep. be there, I hope. Yep. Um, NSCA Coaches Conference. That's right. In Charlotte. Should be pretty fun. And um, so I won't go all the way into that because it's an hour long presentation. But, um, but yeah, the nuance of it. I mean, that's, that's the art of coaching. Right. Right is to figure out what how to move certain people. Some people are fueled by anger, by revenge. I don't know that that's a way to live one's life, but uh, <laughs> you know, some people are fueled. You know what I mean? Some yeah. people it just takes a little bit of juice and the right kind of energy. Some people, literally, to motivate some people, you just have to say, "Hey, how, how have you been today?" You know, depending on the uh, seriously. I know that sounds silly, but depending on the kid, just knowing that an adult an educator, that a motivator cares about them is motivation. There are kids who you can just be kind to and that kid will follow you everywhere you go. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's, that again, we're not, that would not be designing for the norm, no. but uh, figuring that out, what buttons to push and when, that's the key. Huge. Yeah. All right. So yeah, those were all the questions that we uh, just on this. As we mentioned earlier, we are going to be doing these uh, episodes every so often, um, pretty much as, as long as we have questions for you that, that you guys want to know about. So uh, please, like we said, reach out on Instagram, um, Twitter, email, ask us questions, anything in this realm. We're happy to answer it, happy to talk about it and uh, get the good information out to you guys. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.